All right, thanks, Jared. <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, and they work uh, in managing some big uh, retail spaces. Their job's one, one part of it. And uh, one of the spaces that they're part of, people have been speculating what it's going to turn into. They're like, oh, but maybe it's going to turn into this, and maybe it's going to turn into this. So, so I was talking to him and said, so are you, I'm not asking you what it's going to be. But are, are you sick yet of people asking you what the th thing is going to turn into? And he's like, yes. <laughs> he says, actually, it's not that people are, guess, are you know, I have the question. It's just that people have these wild speculations, and they're going to say, oh, it's going to be this, or it's going to be this. <laughs> uh, I thought it was so funny, right? Like, yeah, that's just human nature, right, is that uh, we like to think about what might be. Um, but also there's this hope, right? We're like, oh, we, we, we see a space, and we wonder what it could be, or we hope what it could be, right? And that's part, I think, of just the creative image of God in us, right? That God's made us to create. God's made us to not only uh, tend the world, but to make things out of it. And as we look forward to the story God is telling in our home in heaven, we're looking forward to, like, God's going to make everything right. So when we do things where we, we build, we create, whether it's we do business or culture or education or anything else, we're reflecting a bit of what God's activity is, where he creates and he makes things better. And when we look at something, even a, a space that is empty, you go, oh, what, well, what could be in this space? We're doing part of what God's made us to do, and that's to make sure that things are growing and created and aren't just left to be empty, but to be full of life and to be full of good things. And thank goodness I, uh, <laughs> I can keep that in mind as we are renovating our attic. Uh, some of you know that our 100-year-old house has had massive water damage in the attic. And a few years ago, uh, we, we'd taken it from kind of this um, even poop color, which it had all been painted. It was just a, a brown, large mess. And we painted it white. We made it into this bedroom for our oldest two boys. You know, it's the entire top floor of this house. So it's, 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 it's this huge, beautiful thing. But we started to realize that underneath all of this, over the years, there had been significant water damage, like areas that were really, really bad. And after this latest season, we had to have the roof replaced. We're like, okay, you know what? This whole thing has to be torn out. We need to engage in this kind of full-scale deconstruction project before we build it back, before we take away every last bit of what is making this an unhealthy environment, an unsafe one, like, you know, my, my kids can't be breathing in mold, I can't be breathing in mold, and put it all back together. And it's going to be costly, and it's going to take a lot of work, and it's going to take some time, but what else are you going to do, right? You're going to say, I'm going to tear this all out, we're going to build it back, and it's going to be good. We're going to make a space that's not only good for us, but good for whoever buys the house after us in 5, 10, or 25 years, depending on how God leads, right? It's going to be good. And keeping that in mind, right, that like part of what God makes us to do as humans and as we follow in his image is say, you're a God of restoration. You're a God of rebuilding. You're a God of taking us somewhere in eternity. And on earth, when we rebuild things that are broken, when we tear out things that are not good, we want to do that because God's put that in our hearts. That's one way that God's put eternity in our hearts, to not just leave things the way they are, but to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to make something here, and I'm going to make it right so that people can flourish in this space, even if it's as simple as a house, right? So there's two things that I do. I'm going to connect this to the, the, the passages today that we read. Uh, while we have this attic torn out, while things are a mess, while there's a lot of dust, while we filled already one dumpster and we have some more stuff to go, while things are kind of this in-between state, Jared and I and our boys, we talk about the future. We talk about what this space is going to be like, right, when it's all done. 
If all we did was look at the attic space and go, yep, this is what it is, well, I think we get discouraged really fast. We would just see the mess in the middle, right? But when we look at what it can be, we go, hey, you know what? I have a picture of what it was before. And I have a picture of what it can be. And I'm looking forward to what it's going to be in the end. So we have, we have a picture here of what we're going to work towards. But the other thing that we do, which is really encouraging, is it's not the only space in this house that we've done this to. We lived in this house 10 years, and by now this is the third floor that we've totally torn out and re-insulated and redone. This will make three out of four, so when we have one more to go, it's pretty good. Hopefully God lets us you know, live in the house a little after that and enjoy it too, right? <laughs> but what we do is we go, hey, you know what? We've seen this before. We've done this before. And we can step into another space if you've been to our house, the basement or the second floor. And it's not done yet, right? There's still some rough edges and the trim isn't all finished. And there's some things that aren't perfect. We can walk in and be like, hey, yeah, this space, there's no water damage. It's warm. It's safe. It's all new drywall. It's all new insulation. The weather isn't going to get at us here. We're able to climate control it. And I can look at this space and say, yeah, yeah, it's still a little rough around the edges. But when I step into this new space that's already been done, I go, hey, this is what can be. So I don't just talk about, you know, the pictures I have of the attic. I step into the other spaces in my house and I go, okay, hey, we're standing here. This is what we are working towards upstairs. So as we talk about our final chapter in the worship series, we are talking about our destination. We are talking about the picture that we get in the book of Revelation, of what it means to worship God for eternity. And as we worship God, as we gather as his people, it does two things. Number one, we speak about the future. It prophesies what heaven's going to be like. When we gather at his, as, as God's people, it's go, it actually shows what heaven is going to be like. It speaks about the future. We say, God, this is what it's going to be like in the end. We are going to worship you. We are going to cry holy, 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 as we sang today, along with the angels and the saints. But it's more than just talking about it. We are also stepping into a space where we go, God is inviting people to be reconciled to him. And we gather as a new community, previewing what eternity is going to be like. We are different. We are called out. God is creating on this earth a new community. And if you're like me, you're a little rough around the edges and you're not done yet and God still has a lot of work to do on you. But we get to gather as a people, not just to talk about heaven, but to preview eternity, to preview worshiping God. I'm going to ask Tristan to come up and read the first of three excerpts from Revelation. Revelation is a book that's designed to be read out loud. And it's written to a church that is undergoing a lot of persecution. A church that has been driven out of jobs and families and homes, most likely as John is writing from the Isle of Patmos, he's also there for political reasons that he's been sent away and exiled. And John is writing to people and saying, I want you to keep the final picture in mind. I want to write to you what Jesus has shown me, which is a prophecy, a prophecy of heaven. And I want to show you what happens that as the church acts, you are previewing what eternity is going to be like. So today, Tristan's going to read three different excerpts from Revelation. There's going to be two kind of close to the front of the sermon and one near the end. But this is the picture that John had on the Isle of Patmos. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Pergamum, 
Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Amen. Thank you, Tristan. Revelation begins with the vision of Jesus. We talk about the future. It is Christ's future. It is Jesus' future, and he is the victor. He speaks this to a people who are persecuted, right? And of course, in the Roman Empire, the Roman culture, there's no idea that weakness could be strength. There's no idea that you could overcome if you are not the person who is the strongest. And so Christ's kingdom operates differently, right? That in your sufferings, in your persecution, in your following the risen Christ, there is victory. And this revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. John says he's speaking on the Lord's day. They were already in the habit of meeting on Sunday, right? Because this is Resurrection Day. And so as people would worship in the synagogues, if there was a synagogue nearby, the early believers would start out doing that. The Christians had also begun to gather on what they called the Lord's Day on Sunday. So John is, on Sunday, receiving this vision from God. And the Holy Spirit speaks. He's going to give words in Revelation to some particular churches of that time, advice that churches can take for all the ages, because they have a lot of things that happen that are like churches these days. And he speaks after these chapters 2 and 3 of a vision of heaven, of what it's like to worship in heaven. And so all of Revelation, it's, it's an unveiling. It's a prophecy of what's going to be. And it's not just the future, right? Sometimes we think of a, of a prophecy or prophetic stuff as just the future. But generally in the Bible, it's more about what they call a foretelling. That they're saying, this is what's happening now and what's just about to happen. And so when we speak in Revelation and we talk about Revelation, it's not just someday stuff. It's Here's what's happening now, and here's what's the reality behind the curtain. John is saying he's being led up to heaven, and he's, the curtain's being pulled back, and he's going, oh, this is reality. This is what's happening. This is what's happening behind the scenes, and when we worship, this is what we participate in. Tristan's going to come up in a second and read the second passage. So here's a few things that are going to be communicated through about Revelation. Number one, God's view of time is linear. We don't have endless cycles of birth and death and rebirth. When as Christians we gather, we prophesy and testify to the fact that time had a beginning and it's going to have an end. God is leading us somewhere. And Revelation testifies to this, that there is an eternity that God is leading us towards. There's an end point. He is going to extend his victory over everything. He is going to judge sin and evil. He is going to raise us to life. The second is that we are part of God's story. We actually join in to what God is doing, and God's inviting us. Be forgiven. Be reconciled. Receive life. Be part of my people. Testify. Worship. Stay strong. And as we worship, we testify, yep, I am part of God's people who are going somewhere. I am headed for eternity. I am joining into God's story. I am joining into the reality, which is truer than any story being told today. 
Robert Weber uh, has written a lot on worship, and I believe he said it like this. Worship proclaims, sings, and enacts God's story. When we worship, we talk about it, right? And we sing about it. We sing holy, holy, holy. We speak the words of the Bible and to each other of who God is and what he's done. We talk about the work of God the Father in history and in the Old Testament and of Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit of the New, and that we live in the age of the Holy Spirit now. We proclaim and we sing. We also enact it. When we come together, there are things that we are testifying about, about this is what is true. We're not just talking about it in a prophetic way, but we're enacting it. We're previewing what heaven's going to be like. We call people to remember God's story, and then we move forward with commission. So when we read passages such as this one, interesting come up, can come up now, this is telling us about reality. This is the reality that we participate in. As we worship, this is what we are joining in as God's people. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow shone like an emerald, uh, shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man. The fourth was like an eagle flying. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sit on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Thanks, Tristan. So John goes up through the door, and he sees what's actually happening behind the scenes. He sees the reality of what's going on for eternity that we join in. And it is eternal worship. And so as Revelation goes on, it speaks that we are joining in with this. A chapter later in 5 verse 8, it talks about the prayers of God's people are like sweet-smelling incense arising to his throne. That what we do on earth as we pray, as we worship, rises up to God, and that God receives what we do. God is not in heaven kind of hermetically sealed off from what's happening on the earth, right? God has said that the kingdom of God is among you, and it is growing like a mustard seed. And as the kingdom of God is breaking into earth, right, as one day he will recreate things, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, his people are testifying to this reality. His people are saying, this is what's going on for eternity, and this is what we're joining into, this is what we're looking forward into. 
And so God calls us to enact this. God calls us to not only sing about it and talk about it, but become his people. Much like the finished rooms in my house, which are not totally finished. It's not perfect, but boy, it shows you what can be, right? And just as God is leading us towards heaven, towards new bodies, towards completely renewed minds that reflect him at all times, we're going to have perfection in heaven, right? We're going to be always in right relationship. We're going to be always knowing what to do. We'll have knowledge that we didn't have now. Our bodies will be healed. God shows us among his people the evidences and the glimpses and the preview of what heaven's going to be like. So we become part of this. We're like the old prophets, right? When they would say a message, some of these Old Testament prophets, God would say, okay, so when you have this message, right, also only eat this kind of food or dress up in this kind of clothes or go make a journey like this or go marry this person or go do this, right? The prophets would take actions and those actions would demonstrate this is what God is like. This is what God is saying. And as we gather as God's people, we take prophetic actions, we enact, we do what God wants us to do as it's done in heaven. That's why we say, God, let things be done on earth as they are in heaven, in the Lord's Prayer. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let us become your people that preview and show and testify to what's going to happen in eternity. So just as in heaven, right, we see every tribe and tongue and nation, right, every people group. Christ's church, right, is made up of all different tribes and tongues and nations. And when you go into church, especially in multicultural cities, right, we see that God says, it doesn't matter where you come from, you are one in Christ Jesus, right? And as the church, we always, stri- we always strive for that, right? That we will include people from every tribe and tongue and nation, that we are all invited, we are all part of Christ's church. And against all the racial segregation of, or the, the ancient world or whether in more recent times, we enact and we proclaim, no, no, God's people is all people. It is from all people and it's a message for all people. And we say, this is what it's going to be like. We aren't, we aren't perfect, but this is what it's going to be like. In eternity, we look forward, right, to our bodies and our minds being healed. For every bit of sickness and disease and trauma and brokenness that we experience now, we look forward to the perfection of that. And you know what? We pray for that now. We pray for that. And we ask, God, would you touch our bodies? That as we use, you know, medicine and all the tools, right? We think those are great tools that God gave to help get us closer to that too. But we also, in in church services, we're going to pray for people. We're going to anoint them with oil. We're going to believe that God is going to restore and have supernatural touches on bodies and minds because it's a signpost of eternity. It's previewing what eternity is going to be like, which is complete wholeness. We sing and we pray because we are sending sweet-smelling incense to God's throne. We're saying, God, I, I just want to lavish my love on you. And when we look at each other, we say, I know what God's going to make us. I know what God has in store for each other. And we don't look at anybody and say, well, man, that person's a dead end, right? That's not how it works in God's kingdom. Tim Keller said this about marriage, but I think it's pretty good that you can extend it to all, all Christians. He says, it's just to look at another person and get a glimpse of what God's creating and to say, I see who God's making you, and it excites me. I want to be part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey that you're taking to his throne. When we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on this earth, but now look at you. They'll say the same to us, you know. (laughs) With all of our things that we go through, with all of our flaws, with all of our deliberate sins and unintentional ways that we offend people, God says, I'm not done with you. And so are his people, right? We are a community that says, I'm going to preview, I'm going to work towards what God does in eternity. And that is restoration and wholeness of relationships. So we value and we spend time together, right? 
We reconcile when things are difficult. We create safety and boundaries. And we welcome every age, every ability, every life stage, because every person is valued in the sight of God and precious in the image of God. And again, it's like if I come to my house and you see the spaces that are renovated, like they are not done. They are not perfect. They are not all they can be. But man, does it give you hope for that attic that's all torn apart? Does it give you hope for the spaces where you're like, I don't know, it's just a big mess? Yeah, yeah, but look at what's been done. Look at what God has made his church to be. Look at what God has already accomplished. And look at who these people are. This is a preview of what eternity is like. <laughs> I've been reading a lot of uh, ancient history lately. And uh, so there's definitely more of that coming through as I'm talking than normal. Um, but I was reading about in the 4th century, the Emperor Julian. And he was known uh, actually specifically as Julian the Apostate because he had been raised Christian and then as an adult was like, I don't want any part of this Christianity stuff. I don't want any, want any part of what he called the, the Galilean teachings. So he had this program to restore like full-scale like uh, Hellenistic influences, like all like the Roman stuff. Like, you know, I don't want any of this Christian stuff. But he's on his travels to Galatia. And he, he goes to the temple in Galatia and he's like, these priests of Cybele, like, they don't care for the poor at all. They, they just care about getting what they want. And he was so troubled by what was going on. He was like, I think we need to use 20% of our imperial taxes to have relief for the poor through the empire. He, he, he was so much like this. And the priests were just like, well, of course we don't care for the poor. That's not what we do, right? This isn't what our religion teaches. And he's like, yeah, but the Christians, they, they support not only their poor, but the other poor as well. Like, what's this disconnect? And Julian who had grown up in Christianity, was taking his Christian values and going, hey, wait a second, how come the Roman culture isn't applying them? They should, they should. But his values were specifically Christian, that the weak were valuable, that the poor should be taken care of and not just destroyed or relocated. So one author said, the heroes that he looked at, the Iliad, well, they'd scorned the weak and downtrodden. So too with the philosophers. You see, where he grew up outside of Christianity, in the time of Julian, the starving deserved no sympathy. The young emperor, sincere though he was in his hatred of Galilean teachings, was blind to the irony of his plan, right? The 20% plan to support the poor. It was irredeemably Christian. There was no other thought in the ancient world that the poor were valuable. But the Christians were different. As we are a people of God, as we live out the values that Christ has given us, even those who verbally and intentionally hate, despise, have nothing to do with Christianity, have an ability to recognize, hey, there's something the Christians are doing. There's something about this people that is different. And God's made us, as he said, to be salt and light. Not to be conquerors and empires, but to be all throughout the world, showing his flavor, his way of life, his being a peculiar people that are different because of the influence of Christ in our lives. So when we are his people, as we worship him, we don't just testify to a future reality and say, okay, I'm going to tell you about heaven. I'm going to live it out. God is making us right now the kind of people that he's going to make us for eternity. He's going to do this all the time. We're looking to forward to when heaven and earth come together at last. In uh, the early um, kind of revivalist Pentecostal tradition, there was a lot of experiences people had, and they would go, I saw, like, heaven come down in our worship. Like, I could just see what was going on in heaven as we were worshiping. And I love that. I think that's just a real echo, a real 
reminder of what's happening every time we worship. We are joining in this eternal worship service in heaven. There was um, Dr. Melissa Archer did her, her PhD thesis on this idea that John was observing in heaven what's going on on earth, that we just reflect that. There's a church I, uh, I went to in Portland last year, and their logo is just uh, two intersecting circles. And what it is, it's that we have earth and that heaven is coming down, right? As Jesus has said, the kingdom of God is among you. It is breaking through that we are salt and light, previewing what God is going to do in eternity. We prophesy heaven and we preview eternity. There's a song by our Red Rocks worship called Breakthrough. And the chorus has just been coming to me through this series. And it just says, by your power, the oceans open wide. Your fire falls down, heaven and earth collide. God is bringing heaven to earth. God is doing it through us. And we wait until Jesus does this with finality through his victory. There's going to be stuff happening at the end of time. It shows in Revelation that there's conflict. But Jesus is going to demonstrate his power. But as a church, we don't get hung up on exactly what that's going to look like. We follow Jesus. We worship him. We prophesy heaven. And we preview that eternity that God has given us by his power. And that's when we get to be salt and light. We're going to join with Jesus for eternity. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. He's going to judge evil. And he's going to give those who trust in him eternal life. Not because we deserved it, but because we trust that he's accomplished it for us. And Jesus' invitation is still the same. Tristan, I'll invite you to come up one last time. Jesus says, come, trust in me. He will provide eternal life. He'll provide forgiveness. He'll provide identity. He'll make us part of a greater story. And he also unfolds us into a people. This is the God who sets the lonely in families. This is the God who says, I give you a new story. He is the God who says, I will wipe every tear from their eyes and give you the free gift of the water of life. After Tristan uh, finishes saying this passage, we're going to close in a worship song. And I'm actually just going to step off the stage as Tristan reads, and then you guys are going to come up and do some worship. And I encourage you, would you stand up as Tristan reads? Would that be okay? Let these words wash over you. And then spend some time talking to God as the worship begins. I don't know if you've thought before about this idea that you are prophesying, that you are speaking God's truth, that you are communicating a message about the future. But I want you to be encouraged today. That's who God's made you to be. He wants to know you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to forgive you and give you a new identity and bring you into his story. And then he wants you to speak that out. So today I encourage you that you would sing and prophesy and use your voice to do that. And also be encouraged, church, that as we gather today, as we gather in the prayer meeting tonight, God is making us a people that preview eternity. You are here to testify to God's grace as he builds us together as a church. God, thank you so much for what you've done. And I pray as Tristan reads these last words, I pray that as we continue in worship and just take a few minutes of silence before worship begins, speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Give us the message that you need us to have today. Draw us closer to your heart. And speak to us individually, God, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and he will dwell with them. 
they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true.